Okay. So thanks very much for coming, the four of you. <laughs> hope it's going to be um, hope it's going to be enjoyable. Yeah, I hope it's worth your time. Um, I am absolutely sure it is, and hopefully we'll leave some time at the end to um, if you guys have any questions for Alex. Um, there's no clock available, so I'm going to I'm going to have to wing it a little bit, and um, and feel the feel the 15 minutes passing as they go. But if it looks like I'm starting to ramble on too much, or Alex is rambling on too much, please just wave at us. Okay, so um, just to introduce... Stop! <laughs> Enough! Um, just to introduce you to Alex, in case you don't know, Alexandra Fantonda is um, what is called a senior creative, used as a noun, in advertising. Yeah, a lot of journalists don't like that. They rip us off for calling us ourselves creatives, but we don't call ourselves creatives. The traffic managers and ad agencies call us creatives. So what is a creative? So a creative is, uh, you know, in the ad industry, we've got, uh, we've got a lot of people running around making work that sells um, uh, products. Uh, it drives the commercial capitalist industry, which is destroying our planets and our morals and our ethics at the moment, but it has been that way for forever. Um, and uh, within the, the agencies that service these clients, you have a whole bunch of business people, and then you have the people that actually do the work, come up with the lines, create the ads, uh, shoot the advertisements, um, and and they call these people creatives. So I fall into that category. So a creative could be somebody who does art, who does filming, who does sound, who does yeah. um, taglines, what, whatever. Yeah. So which one of those, you usually do words? So I generally do the words and I do the concepts. Okay. Yeah. All right. So now we know what a creative is. Um, she's also one of the early advocators in South Africa of using um, blogs and social media to gain traction for brands. Um, and I think that she's very well... Um, obviously very well positioned to have written the book that she has. And she had satirical blogs called, one called My Branded Life and another one called Cape Town Girl. Um, and she now freelances as a, um, as a writer mostly, but also has clients um, who need uh, help with creative stuff. Um, she was um, called, was named one of the uh, um, top women in um, online in 2011 by Meme Burn, and she's also won the Woman and Home short story competition. And then, as you know, she released her book This One Time last year. Now, This One Time is a story about a, um, a guy who can't get a job in New York. Um, he's very average. Um, Joseph Lynch is his name. And uh, one day while he's playing chess and drinking beer with a friend of his, they come up with an idea that he should create a blog in which he actually um, uh, takes on the kind of conversations that he's always overhearing men have, which are like, this one time I this and this happened with that girl and so on. Anyway, this blog takes off and takes over his life completely. And in, um, it's run by somebody called Brody Lynch. That's his... Brody Lomax. Uh, Brody Lomax, <laughs> sorry. Um, and it's as if Brody Lomax, complete, uh, or Joseph Lynch, who starts and does all the writing, is completely sucked in by Brody Lomax, and he becomes Brody Lomax, and Brody Lomax is an absolute... Yeah, he's appalling. He's, he like, is, he's like a bad, he is bad a character. complete right? tonsil. He really is a horrible human being. So what I wanted to ask you to start off with was, um, did you... 
oh, sorry. And then what happens is the Brody goes away to write a book in Alaska, and he's all alone in this uh, hunting lodge in Alaska, and that's when things get real. And, um, and he has an absolutely appalling time there. But uh, I won't give away what, what all happens in case you haven't read the book. But what I wanted to ask you was, did you, did you write this book to avenge yourself on all the misogynists um, who appear online? <laughs> who appear online? Well, um, I, didn't, I guess I wasn't really out for, for vengeance. I mean, I was kind of more out... To, uh, to just tell the story of it happening. I get, you know, like, I'm a citizen of the internet and um, I, a lot of my friends have been online for years and years and as I have been and I was observing it. And I guess at the time I was writing the book, which was 2012, 2011, uh, there was, it was really the rise of revenge porn. I mean, people were only just starting to talk about it or give it a name. And um, it was also just the rise of kind of that female rage around it. You know, what was happening is these women were kind of, their lives were being, well, these photos of them were being put online and there was literally no way they could get any kind of retribution. The law didn't recognize it as a crime um, and they were getting angrier and angrier and there were, there were these guys like um, the Slut Whisperer and Rouge V and they, they were putting this kind of stuff out onto the internet and women were getting so angry that they were like stalking them and trying to stab them in the street because there was absolutely no uh, real retribution for this kind of kind of behavior. So, I mean, I was seeing it and I was seeing, um, you know, just a new manifestation of this, um, this kind of dickery or this misogyny coming out in social media uh, through this new medium. It's not a new thing. Though, I mean, I guess this kind of behavior has been around for a while. Rape culture, you know, um, it's, in, it's in everything from musicals like <laughs> Oklahoma to, you know, absolutely everything. It's been around for ages. It just, it was a new way, it's a new manifestation for it. And I was seeing it and just, I wanted to tell the story, I guess. Um, and yeah, it's quite nice that, that she gets revenge on him. I mean, bonus. <laughs> and, um, and it's excellent revenge. Um, but now, online misogyny and indeed racism have been around for a really long time. Yeah. Um, was there one tweet or update or event that really shook you, that really made you think that the world has changed and it hasn't got better? Um, I really can't say that there was one. I think, you know, as I, as, as I say... I log in every day onto the internet and I, I almost can't believe what happens. And it's less those guys out there who are posting the revenge porn and you can kind of go into the slut whisperer who has hundreds of thousands of followers and his stuff is horrendously derogatory, but he's followed by, by mainstream, you know, mainstream audiences, like, like, I hate to say it, but like, like sorority sort of level white girls, you know, and he's popular by, by, it's, it's people like you and me who make these people popular and powerful. Um, and I, I log into Facebook and I'll see uh, a male friend of mine um, posting a, a, a photograph and it's a, it's a joke meme. And it's, and it's um, two different, it's two rolls next to each other and there's ham. There's like a little thin bit of ham coming out of one roll and then there's like thick, thick ham coming out, out, of the, out of the other roll. And the headline says, there are two types of girls. You know, and he's a well-educated man who went to Oxford, and he, he's ostensibly a gentleman and falls right into the category of nice man that I, like, my mother would love it if I brought a guy like him home, you know? I see this, like, this everyday misogyny 
everywhere. And it's in my best friends. It's in my boyfriends. It's in my brothers. It's in my, it's in my, it's all around me, you know? Um, and, and we kind of just let it happen. We see it and it happens and no one calls anybody on it. And sure, there are these horrendous instances of, um, you, you know, like you could look at Hunter Moore who, who, who wrote the website, Is Anyone Up? He was eventually jailed. And, um, you know, revenge porn is now, last year, at the very end of last year, it was made a crime in California. So it is now a crime, but it took almost four years to get to that point. Um, and sure, Hunter Moore is now serving time in jail, but I still log onto Facebook and I see this kind of stuff being posted by people I know. So and when you talk about it, they usually, their comeback is usually, oh, just please get a sense of humor. It's like lad up. stuff. It's lad humor. Mm, like, yeah. oh, don't be such an uptight feminist bitch, you know? And I go, well, mm, okay. <laughs> um, I once had the remarkable um, um, honor of uh, very briefly interviewing Gloria Steinem when she came to South wow, Africa. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah. Um, and um, I remember, I can't remember what my, my, what my question was, but her answer was, whenever you come across racism, Every single time, race, we were speaking about racism, not misogyny, every single time you come across it, you have to say something. Yeah. And I remember thinking, Lord, lady, you don't live in South Africa. Yeah. If I had to do that every single time I came across racism, yeah. I would never speak about anything else. I yeah. would have no breath left for anything else except yeah. that. And I felt, um, I felt um, really tiny. I felt yeah. really like, I, you know, I can't. I can't say this every single time I come across it. And I think it feel, it's exactly the same with misogyny. You just it's get exactly to a point where you... It's exactly the same with misogyny, yeah. It's the yeah. same with sexism, yeah. Um, so what is the basic problem here? Is it people? You know, I, um, I think I said to you as well that I, I have this, um, this image of that, that joke meme, which is, which is uh, the man rising up from the ape. Um, and yes. the apes coming from the left-hand side, and then right on the far right-hand side is a, um, Homo erectus standing, looking at them and pointing and saying, "Turn back, we fucked up." <laughs> <laughs> and I and I keep thinking, is this? Is, are we? Have we always been this way, or are we doing the opposite of evolving? Is it people, or is it the technology? I think, um, you know, technology holds a huge lens or mirror up to human behavior. And I think social media has terrified us and gets a really bad name and um, because it does just that, it shows us ourselves. So I think what social media has done is made our behavior so apparent. Um, and I think, you know, a question that you sent me, um, that you'll ask me later is, where do you find the armor to face this stuff? And I think what's so, what's not scary for me is that when people abuse and they show the side of themselves, they're really almost holding up a huge sign um, that, that shows the nastiness within them. Um, yeah, I kind of think that, that it's been around for ages and now it's becoming very, very, very apparent, you know, you know what the problem is. Um, it's not the technology, it's, it's people. Um, I think that what definitely has social media has done is sped up the intolerance. I mean, now that we've all been able to see what's been going on for a good three years, suddenly we've had enough. You know, it certainly happened with racism in South Africa. We've all been watching it. We've all been watching it. We've watched the racists in our timeline make, uh, you know, Zoomers and orangutan jokes for, for the last three years, and now we've had enough. 
you know, it's actually everybody's problem. It's not just, it's, it's not just um, an isolated problem. And I think that it's been great. I mean, it's super uncomfortable. It's super uncomfortable to face realities about, wow, uh, this is what men are like. This is what male culture is like. Um, bro culture, mainstream bro culture is actually rape culture. That's a very uncomfortable thing to sit with and to face. And oh, my son who goes to a private school like Michael House has actually been trained in rape culture. Not something I want to think about, not something I want to face, but that's what social is doing, is it's forcing us to see that, you know? Um, yes, I, I agree with you. I thought that what was happening was simply that it's always been around, we've always been aware yes. of it, but now it's just in our, our faces. faces. And what's really awful about this as a side issue is, is, is coming across people that you thought you really liked, and they totally. say these things, and you just think, I, I don't want to like you anymore, and I want to be your friend totally. anymore. I, I, and really, honestly, I mean, it gets to the point where you feel like there might be two or three people in the world that you that respect you like. and believe have integrity. Well, you know? it influences major life choices. I mean, I certainly feel, and I'm not the only woman in my position who feels this way, that as a, I'm not really young anymore. I mean, I'm 33 years old, but I'm unmarried and I'm single. And, and I didn't always think that I would be this way. I mean, I kind of assumed that at some point I would get married and I might have children. But I don't know how to marry the mainstream white male. I don't know how to marry him because I've become so aware of how they need to box me. They need to box women. Um, there's this constant culture of misogyny. Um, even you know, amongst my, my gentleman friends, there's the two types of girls, uh, creepy jokes going around on the internet. I, I can't be attracted to you, I can't respect you, I certainly don't want to breed with you. <laughs> um, don't really find you a, a, a suitable mating partner anyway. So no offense to the white male the audience, you are not the same. <laughs> I, I've seen you on Facebook, your jokes are hilarious and aware and conscious. <laughs> You're not in this group. Can I friend you? <laughs> he's, he's very funny and, and very conscious on Facebook. Yeah. You're not the guy. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I mean, like, there are men that I thought were my friends and, and indeed I, ended a, a relationship that always almost ended in marriage when social came out because it also brought out a side in him which actually was shocking. You know? Mm, mm, I know. Because you're really creepy and uncomfortable feeling about just being alive, I think. But just to get back to the issue of... Oh, God. Oh, this is like, man, like white no, male-hating anonymous. White mainstream bro male-hating anonymous. <laughs> We're going to have to come back from this. <laughs> um, I want to... Until recently, I thought it's got to just be people. People are just becoming more and more horrible. But there um, is a very strong case to be made for that the technology itself has to, has to somehow temper our, our um, interaction with the world. Because in fact, sadly, um, there, is a, um, there is also a um, uh, pressure, financial pressure, and Twitter is, is, is buckling. Yes. Um, and people are leaving Twitter in droves, and most of it has to do with this. You know, people, people just can't deal with it anymore. Yeah. Um, and there are people who, people who are making very strong cases for a nicer net. Yes. Um, and then the people who would argue with that are the libertarians who would say, well, you know, this is 
you should just let it play out. And other people who say, well, what about free speech? Well, free speech is not really under, under pressure at the moment, but women... Women are under pressure. Women yeah. are under a lot of pressure. And this has been, as we said in a very bad way earlier today, <laughs> it's been a big week for misogyny in South it Africa. Really, in it South Africa. really has been. Uh, three dead girls, um, but not just dead, like b abused and, and beaten to within, you know. Um, the um, rapist, the Rhodes rapist has been arrested, though. Really? Good news, yes. Yes. That is, yeah, I guess, if they found the right guy, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, the, women are under pressure, and um, uh, I was asking about the nicer net. The nicer net. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I face, you know, I have clients, I have very, very big clients with very, very big budgets, and they are very big multinational companies who worry about this because they obviously have to carry communications, and and um, their their consumers are on the net, and they do worry about this, um, and. I guess what is going to happen is that there is a trend sort of moving towards closed circles, you know, newsletters becoming a space where women can express themselves again without um, possibly being attacked on the internet. Um, and, uh, and kind of the idea of closed circles generally, you know, the idea of, okay, well, if men can't behave, we're going to exclude you um, until you can. And also we're going to... Um, possibly exclude you, um, uh, I don't want to say aggressively, but we're now closing ranks and we're thinking very carefully. So this is a sentiment that uh, has been rising in a lot of female circles that I've certainly picked up. There's also a sense of within female leaders, within businesses and corporates going, um, wow, men are becoming a real problem. Um, men, the male, the, the male sex is a is a dangerous is a, is becoming very very dangerous. Um, men are going to have to pull themselves into line, and um, you know we can say things up to a point until we have to protect ourselves as a as a community as women as a kind of general sex. And then you know the other side of it is that men really have to start sorting themselves out. Male leaders have to kind of start sorting themselves out, and that's a job that has to be done through media and thought leadership um, by men. You know, just as, as um, a lot of kind of uh, black, black people are starting to say white people need to sort themselves out, I think there is also amongst female, um, you know, writers and leaders this idea that men need to start sorting themselves out or they're kind of going to be excluded. Um, you know, a, a, a conversation that I have with a friend of mine who's a CEO of a very, very big successful company is I say to him a lot, I'm like, let me call him Dave. I'm like, Dave, why do we need you? So he says, what do you mean? I'm like, we are just as smart as you are, if not smarter, because we have intuition and we have compassion, which you, you guys are generally lacking. Uh, we can freeze your sperm. Um, we work better in groups. We're more collaborative. We, um, you know, I kind of list all the benefits. And I'm like, plus we don't kill you guys randomly. We're not violent. We don't go around killing. We don't beat. We don't cause anguish to communities. And he said to me, that's a really good point. And I said, men are going to have to find a reason to be useful because you guys are not useful anymore. And he said, you make a really, really, really good point. 
<laughs> this, is, this is going slightly off, but you have to say also that the women in your book are awful. So there are, there yeah. are a lot of women who, who actually yeah. un, um, uh, provide a, a platform and support yes. for this laddish behavior, Yes, sadly. Yeah, I mean, I call them fembots. And I mean, you see, you see them in the world all the time. You'll see any woman who says to you, don't be that girl who speaks up. You don't want to be that girl. That's a fembot. She's, she's part of it. She's protecting kind of the patriarchal system. Any woman who says to you, oh, do you really want to wear that? Oh, do you really want to? You know what I mean? Like you can pick it up from that side of the, uh, side, that side of the scale. Um, in the book, there's, a, there's one really, really bad woman. And she is kind of an amalgamation of, you know, the worst stereotypes of women you can get. Um, and you'll see why she's like that later on. There's kind of a reveal. Um, but... Uh, but you know, the, the, the one thing that I think maybe we can learn from society is that when you show people a lack of empathy and you force them into pain and you, you force them into... So if you look at poverty, poverty is a breeding ground for psychopathy. Um, because people aren't taken care of, they can't, you know, there's no parenting resources, there's no basic needs met, and now we have a society of criminals who are able to kind of like kill and, and maim because there's no empathy um, um, and, and there's, there's kind of I worry that there's a similar thing that, that has happened to, to you, you know you worry that, that that might have happened for some women when you talk about the extreme feminists the ones who are baying for blood you know that's a result of years and years and years of kind of like systemic abuse and then when they speak up having that abuse denied you know denying suffering continually will create a psychopath, will create people burning at the university, um, will create violence, and then you get people saying, but why are you so angry? <laughs> you know? Um, I just want to get back to the, to the point that you were making about newsletters and people kind of um, shutting down and going into smaller groups. I think one of the reasons why Facebook um, is slightly more successful is because you have a choice about who you allow into that, whereas Twitter is far more public. You can say something and you're saying it to whoever picks it up, like Justine Sacco found out. Yes. Um, so, um, so one of the things that I'm hoping is that, that we will that we will continue to work on uh, on the actual social networks the way that they were uh, the, the way that they were before the internet so our, our social our social networks in real life set up situations in which we reject antisocial behavior and i'm hoping that that is where we're moving with social media is that we will reject yes. uh, the kind of um, and and very often these kinds of people um, who say these ridiculous things and then other people react to them then i just want to say to other the people who are reacting just don't. Just yeah. don't engage with it because that's just giving it a lot of yeah. um, oomph, you know. But we've, we've sorted, we're all actually um, cavemen really still, but we've sorted out a way to live with one another um, in real life off the internet. I never know what to call the other place. Um, <laughs> the real world. <laughs> so my daughter used to say, in real. Is that in real? IRL. So, uh, <laughs> in real uh, life. Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. There's an actual thing for it. So IRL. Oh. We've sorted all the stuff out. We know how to live with socially, and we've made rules for engagement and that sort of thing, and hopefully it will spread on the internet as well. Yeah. But in the meanwhile, we are exposed to this. And I mean, I, I, I avoid Twitter because I find it such an ugly place that I come away feeling dreadful yeah. very often. Dreadful. I mean, it actually affects my mood to no, the point. No, it does. Where, it does. So, what, so the question that you brought up earlier, which I'm going to ask now, is how do you sort the good from the bad and how do you put on your armor every day to face yeah. 
to face the ugliness? What, how do you sift through it? So I guess uh, for me, online is very much a third thing. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's like one of my creative projects. So um, as an advertising creative, I had to learn how to develop a thick skin and to take rejection and to take all kinds of feedback very, 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 from a very young age because you, you deal with clients who have very real business challenges and they will reject your work and your ideas um, and it's not personal. It's really about circumstances that are particular to them. So I think that I've always kind of seen it as a third thing and I've always kind of seen a lot of abuse as being other people's issues, which they will project onto you. And then particularly working for big brands, you know, you work for a brand like Woolworths and you watch the abuse that a brand like that will get. Um, and very often that a, the, the brand becomes um, a symbolic, almost sacrificial lamb for cultural and societal issues. So, you know, a small um, issue like racism or, or something that comes across as racism can have a massive cultural eruption where people will hurl a, a, irrational, responsive, reactive stuff um, at a brand. And, by, and after years of watching that happen, you come to realize that actually people just project their issues onto you and they project a lot of their issues at, um, at people online because they objectify you through the medium. You know, they, a lot of it is projection. So in a way, I've almost developed sympathy and, and empathy for abusers, especially people who lose their shit online, because I kind of go, wow, here's a person having a very, very, very real and public breakdown sometimes. You know, the worse and the more abusive it gets, I kind of go, you are, you're holding up your deepest pain for all the world to see, and I'm so sorry you're going through this, you know? Like, that's actually more what I see now. I don't really, yeah, and I mean, especially the reactive stuff, especially the emotional stuff. So I less take it, I, I mean, I see it and, and, and it gets like abusive and, and I've, lost, I've done a lot of research on trolls and I've done a lot of, um, Reg Yates did an amazing documentary now called Men at War, where he actually goes and he meets trolls who have been, he, he finds a troll who attacked this woman for almost three days and called, um, you know, death threats and called her pathetic and useless and he went and met this guy and he's this sad little man who has no life and he's got no self-esteem and he's belittled by everyone in his world and he, and he admits he doesn't know what he was doing, he was stupid, he, he just, he felt, it made him feel better for a second and, you know, after, as I, I guess, you know, knowledge is power. So the more I inform myself about this stuff, the more I understand that this is... Uh, and, and we are all super emotionally immature when it comes to the internet. You know, it's, it's like we're all four-year-olds, six-year-olds maybe. So there's a lot of adults behaving like children. You know, they, they're like, they don't sense their reactions. They don't censor themselves. Outrage drives everything. And they see something and it, like, it hits a, a piece of pain from their childhood. And, and this could be like your boss or like somebody that you respect to work with in the workplace. And they just lose their shit online. And I guess it's really just eye-opening and, and, and kind of, uh, yeah, it's kind of educational more than anything else. I don't so, know. So the internet doesn't upset you anymore, basically? It, it, uh, no, it's more, it's more a giant human experiment and insight machine mm. for me. It, mm. it really it kind of holds up human nature. It serves up human nature on almost an ongoing sushi tray. It's like <laughs> it's, just, it's just human nature 
endlessly served up on a sushi tray. And, and also a lot of it's not real. A lot of, it, a lot of people's anger and pain are momentary and they pass. You know, so so some people some people can say something that's so angry and aggressive and nasty, and and you go like, mm, okay, have a cup of tea. You know, <laughs> this too shall pass, and it will pass. And but you just, yeah, it's kind of fascinating. You want, yeah, like, I want to give a lot of people hugs. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really do. I, I look at it and I go, oh my god, you know, like you just need a hug. Yeah, yeah, or a little, or a little nap. Like yeah. a child, like a three-year-old yeah. <laughs> when they have a tantrum. Really, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so you're in advertising and you probably know better than most of us about brands and popularity and clicks and likes and all of that sort of thing. And you've said yourself that we are all brands and I, I want to know about that. How is an ordinary human being a brand? I guess a brand, what I mean by brand um, is a kind of a set of values um, yeah, it's kind of a set of emotional values. And I guess we, what brands have always done is organize those values um, into an image that is then consistently kind of portrayed to the world. And now we all have these platforms, which are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram or wherever, they, wherever you choose to be. Some of us try and not do it. You know, you know, some people don't want to put too much effort into it. They don't want to be seen to be trying too hard. But that in itself is an image. You know, that in itself is, is projecting something. So whether you do or you don't, you are doing it. Um, and whether you like it or not, if you apply for a job or if someone wants to find something out about you, whatever, they're going to go online, they're going to Google you, and they're going to find your icon or your online image portrayal, portrayal or your brand. Um, so that's what I mean by that. Uh, and... You know, it's kind of naive to say, like, uh, you know, personal branding, I don't do it, or whatever. It's like, you know, we, we, you have to do it. We all have avatars and icons, and that's what a brand is in this world. So, so it's better not to avoid it, but to think um, actively about what it is that just you're Just to own it. Just, you yeah. know, you don't necessarily have to go out there and be like, hey, I'm Cape Town girl, you know, I'm like yeah. an author, flash flash, whatever. Yeah. You don't have to, yeah. you know. Like, but you... you Give come some consideration as to, you know, what do you stand for? Uh, do these values come across when people find me online? Mm. And um, am I doing it with integrity? Um, does this, and am I doing it in a way that serves me? Yeah, yeah. And the world serves the world in a good way. <laughs> I wish people would think about that more. Yes. Um, I guess now, even though you're in digital and social media, and this is your whole life, advertising, and this is basically all you've done until you started writing more seriously, um, you you understand that world so well, but you seem to be pointing this ugly, gnarly finger at it and going, "This is shit." So, um, you, and and you're asking in this book, "Is this really what we want for ourselves? Is this yeah. the best that we can hope for?" Um, and. I was wondering, because it's clear to me now that you don't measure your own success as a human being. I mean, success is a very um, nebulous word in any yeah. case, but your own success is not measured by, how, by the brand that you have put out in the world. So how, how do you measure your success as a human being, as somebody who inhabits and swims around in that element all day, every day? Yeah. How, how, what should be, we be aiming for rather than the brand? Well, I guess, you know, in the novel, um, what, I, what I did was I, I used a character who loses his own sense of integrity and success um, to follow the like, to follow the likes. So even though he knows what he's doing is wrong, the fact that he gets like after like and follow after follow after follow, he, he, 
uses that as affirmation that he is successful. Um, and I think that's, I guess, what you've got to always ask yourself is, am I being true to myself? Is this really what I want? Is this, you know, everyone has an internal sense of integrity and, and a compass. And I mean, for myself, it's, it's always been a writer. Um, I've been writing since I was like young. I've only really been had any kind of measure of proper success now. So it's been a long, long journey. But um, it's really easy to lose yourself to likes. And that as well is not a new phenomenon. Like chasing popularity isn't a new phenomenon. Again, social media just makes it so much easier and brings it to the forefront because now you don't even have to go and play the popularity game. You can just log, log in and post a selfie with a filter that's got a very popular visual treatment that's so hot right now and you can ride those likes and there's ways of doing it, you know what I mean? And, and you can really chase pop, like popularity in a way that's never been easier, I guess. So it's not, not a new thought. It's not a new thought, which is like following popular trends or being true to yourself. And I guess the answer is still the same, is it's going, hey, is this, am I being true to myself here? Or am I following popular opinion and trying to kind of appeal to people whom I don't even know and who don't actually know me or care about me, I guess? Um, there's, um, I know, a nine-year-old boy who has um, three older siblings, and um, he just recently got onto Instagram. He also has a slight anxiety disorder. And he is getting him his knickers in a complete yeah. knot at the moment because he doesn't get as many likes as yeah. his brothers and sisters do. And it's actually, it's actually um, frightening to watch. I mean, he's unraveling psychologically, yeah. you know, and he phones people and asks them to ask please... Ask them to like. No, yeah. not phone, because kids don't do that, but, you know, they'll WhatsApp yeah. or Snapchat somebody and say, please like my photograph. It's this actually, is a story I hear all the time where go, my daughter is constantly asking her friends and me to like the photos that she's uploaded to Instagram. She, if she doesn't get 11 likes within 15 minutes, she deletes the photo, she has a meltdown. Um, the, the games that daughters play, that a, a woman was telling me her daughter and her friends, they manipulate each other on Instagram via likes, via following each other. You know, girls won't follow each other after a certain amount of days and, and only now, once the one's followed the other one, is she popular? I mean, it's like, it's the same shit. It's the same stuff we've always gone through, but yeah. now it's just on social yeah. media. Yeah. Um, and I guess, like, in the book, it's really, really an extreme version. And, okay, so I just also want to say, like, I, I've come across as a very, very man-hating person here, but I'm, like, I'm not at all. And um, there's this, the toxic masculinity thing, and and um, the oppression of women is, is the same coin. So the other thing this world does is it rewards men for being dicks. So it rewards men for baking big muscles and for being assholes and for rapping about, his, about all the bitches you, and hoes you fucked. So we wonder also why men then try and play up to the stereotypes just as we look at Kim Kardashian and say, why does she do this? Why does she dress in clothing that shows all of her boobs and all of her ass? Why does she apply a million layers of makeup? It's because the world rewards her for it. She is the most followed person on the internet right now. She's bigger than Beyonce. I mean, so I do a lot of consumer research. I was chatting to a friend of mine, Melody, the other day. She's, so Melody is um, in the middle of kind of young black influencer fashion circles. She's kind of hip and cool. And she whispered to me the other day, she said, I said to her, just tell me what you think honestly about Kim Kardashian. And she was like, Alex, Kim is bigger than Beyonce. Like, we all know it. 
you know? And the thing is, the world rewards people for being, the world rewards women for being sex objects, and the world rewards men for being dicks. So it's like, 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 like. When, you know, in my book, the character chases the likes by being an asshole and a dick and treating women like shit. And I also feel like we persecute, you know, Kim Kardashian for being, for doing what's worked for her. That kind of um, makes me think about the point that I was thinking about, whether all of this is really authentic. Are we, is, is the is the internet and social media tapping into a real authentic misogyny, which I believe really does exist? Or are these people just kind of hitching their wagons to this Trump, yeah, this Trump, yeah. Trump wagon of hideousness? It's, it's almost, there's some aspect of it that feels to me like it's just like not a show. real. It's a show. It's a show, yeah. yeah. So, so then again, I, like, I hate to like, plug my book again. <laughs> So, um, you know, the, the book as well is kind of constructed within a show. And I think it's, it's also really important to understand that, you know, people are drawn to stories and narratives. And um, what, what the main character in, in this one time serves up is a great narrative. He serves up a great story all the time. And what the Kardashians get right is a great narrative and a great story. Um, and <laughs> have... <laughs> being this is the sad person who has to study things like the Kardashians for my job. <laughs> I'll tell you now that they, they, you know, they don't just happen. They're, they're a very well-plotted narrative and they are a really well-plotted soap opera. Um, and you, it's very, very easy to get hooked on them and to get hooked on that narrative. So I, I kind of, yeah, I challenge you to find the narrative, <laughs> to find the narrative, and to kind of always look for the show and media. And we, we were chatting earlier about the fact that media has become a blur of fiction and reality. We don't really know who's a real a politician and who's a fictional character anymore. Like, like Donald Trump has become so powerful because he's like a supervillain from a comic story, um, and the media gives him more attention than. Like Barack Obama gets, you know, um, and by the same token, you know, Beyonce is a real—I mean, she really is a real women's lib hero. Like, if you look at her lyrics and her body of work, she has done so much for women and for and for redefining the black female image and and kind of the black female mindset. But Kim Kardashian gets way more attention than her, and she plays she plays to popular um, kind of need, emotional needs more. So she gets so she she's bigger. Yeah. Yeah, and Beyonce actually does real stuff. You, you would, so you, know, you would argue that Beyonce is actually incredibly talented, which is an understatement. Beyonce yes. is possibly the greatest artist of all time. Like Kanye was right, um, but <laughs> you know, the, the 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 lines between fiction and reality and the media are so blurred that people don't know how to navigate it. Well, how how does one navigate it? I mean, in the, and what we were also speaking about is the death of journalism. Yes. Um, and fact checking. Yes. And and how how do people, particularly, I mean, older people, I'm talking about people like me as opposed to people like you. Although maybe you know, having age on my side, I I know what the difference is between um, a good source and um, yeah. a good source of information and a bad one. I can vaguely distinguished. There are lots of older people who can't though, I mean, who are yeah. actually worse at it than yes. younger people. But are there, are there any sort of basic rules about distinguishing what's real and what's not real on the, on, in the world, actually? In the world. Well, a good place to start is um, Alain de, Bot de Botton's um, How to Read the News. He wrote a book called How to Read the News. Um, and it's kind of a crash course in modern critical thinking. Um, I think critical thinking as a skill is so important currently. is just to question hmm, 
is this a reliable source? You know, you know what you can do is kind of Google three or four sources on a topic and I, I will never take one source at face value ever. I don't think you can do that safely ever again in this world till the end of time. Like you, you have to form your own opinions, you have to research for yourself. Um, and I guess, yeah, I guess you really just have to think for yourself. Like well, freedom in, in this age, like true freedom and power in this age is being able to think for yourself and being able to ask questions and go, wait a minute, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna check a few things before I take this at face value. Um, if I knew how to make a meme, I would make a meme out of the quote you just did. What, freedom is... <laughs> yeah. I've made my own. Have you? It's on uh, my Instagram. You can screenshot it. Okay. And uh, you can just okay. repost it. And I'll make sure that you get lots of likes. Please, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay. So is there any role for traditional media and old-fashioned journalism? Um, Mail and Guardian Online, The Daily Maverick, um, The Guardian. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know yet how to do it. And I, th and I speak to my investor, wealthy friends about this and try and convert them and try and get them to invest in it actually all the time because there's so few places where the truth still lives. Um, and it's living at the moment only really in art. So, so I think that um, everyone else is being bought, opinions are being bought. If you work in advertising or media or if you version the, in the blogging sphere, um, you will, money will be slipped or trade will be slipped and you will be part of an agenda. Um, but artists are, uh, are telling the truth. And I, you, you say, as, as you said, you worked in PR, you couldn't deal with it, you needed to tell the truth. Um, you know, I feel the same. So what I've had to do is split my creativity. My novels are the truth, and then I work in advertising as a day job. However, what I, what I would like to do is, is find funds for artists and journalists to, to write the truth and be funded by, by capitalists in whose interest it is. And that does actually exist. So there are companies, um, you, you know, for whom it does benefit them to have the truth told. You know, companies that are not on the receiving end of corruption. Um, and those are, there, there, are, there are, you know, the tech companies, the Samsungs of the world, um, especially maybe in the, in the sort of science fiction uh, sort, of, sort of states, um, I don't quite know how it's going to work yet, but I do believe it's now big businesses' responsibility to ensure the truth is told. And if they don't, they're going to suffer the same consequences we all are. And excuse me being cynical and using my critical mind, but if you've got a brand like yeah. Samsung and, and, and something big happens in Samsung, yeah. are they going to welcome objective reporting on it? You know, it's such dangerous territory. It is. So it is. I know. Okay. <laughs> Too big for this topic. All right. Um, I was just wondering whether maybe we should, I've got one final question for you, but maybe we should um, open up and just find out whether anybody else wants to ask something before I ask the final question, because I think we're moving along with time very quickly now. It's 10 to... Awesome. Okay. So now what I want to ask you finally is why on earth did you write a book? I mean, isn't that terribly old fashioned? Um, and is there really still a space for reading, yeah. reading novels um, in the world and particularly for, for um, a younger generation? I mean, yeah. from, for my generation and your generation and your generation, yeah. not these young people. Reading books is an obvious thing. It's what we do, you know, yes. but um, I'm not so sure it's that obvious for younger people. Yeah. I could be wrong. Um, I guess... Uh I, don't, I didn't really think write a book. I've always told stories, so I've 
you know, as a, just that annoying child who made plays, whatever, as a kid, um, and directed plays through school and was always writing. Um, and a book, I guess, for me just gives me complete control of the vision. So, um, you know, I'm able to talk about what it looks like and, and, and build the characters. And it kind of was never an, uh, never an option not to write books. And I have been doing it, as I say, since I was 16. We won't call those books, though. Um, they were just bad sort of attempts. But I think that's definitely the space for storytelling has changed. I know I consume, I always read books, but I love it when books are brought to life beautifully in series and beautifully in movies. I'm a huge movie and series person and um, certainly I hope to write books that are turned into books and movies and um, you know, I found an agent who's very much in that space as well and we you know, we very much hope to move into that space. And I also hope to move into a tech space where books or stories are 3D, much like gaming. Um, I also, like, I'm quite into kind of gaming, like, you know, like World of War, Warcraft, Eve, like that kind of stuff is like very, very interesting to me. Um, and AR and AI fascinate me. Like the Samsung gear headsets for me is a whole new way of consuming and also maybe constructing fiction experiences for people. So, uh, you know, the vision... I guess my agent, he's a lit agent, but he does a lot of movies, and he said to me, we don't want scripts, we want books, because it's a, a well-constructed vision. And I agree with him. I mean, I just can't imagine a better way to construct a vision for a story than through a novel. Do your friends still read, or was reading your novel quite a novel thing for them a to do? A lot of them still haven't finished it. <laughs> it's tragic. But I don't mind, I don't hold it against them. Um, like, yeah, like a lot of them struggle to read just because of attention deficit disorder, you know? And again, I myself have to set aside time to read. Like, I love reading, but I have to set aside time for it. So, um, it's, it is a weird thing. But, but like I say, we have loads of media options, so it's not, I don't think it's that bad. Um, and I must say, every time I find myself in a book, I'm never happier. And I don't get the same that magic moment when an author's vision comes together and you feel literally emotionally changed, I never get that from a, from a movie or a series. You know, like, so... It also feels like the ultimate escapism, really, yeah. because you get, you get pulled into that world and it's almost like when you look up from a book, you're a bit, you, you know, you're jarred by what's yeah. around you because you're not in Alaska, for instance, yeah. in a hunting lodge. You know, yeah, so... so. Anyway, um, I have to say that this is really one of the m most interesting and wonderful um, talks that I have done in all the years that I've been doing this. That's very kind of uh, you. No, I'm really, I'll, I'll tell you why exactly. You know, I used to have this absolute fear of snakes and um, to the point that I couldn't look at them like at the aquarium or the zoo or whatever or in books. And then when my son was three years old, he developed an absolute obsession with snakes and I had to look through snake books with Isn't him. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> And I even touched snakes. Um, and it felt like one of those things where I was really having to look at this thing that I feared. And I'd gotten to the point in the past year where I, I hated Twitter so much. I hated it so much that I couldn't, I, I, I had to brace myself to go there. And then I didn't really know why I was there when I was there. Um, and, I, and I really hated it. This reading your book and, um, and thinking about all of this has it's been my snake moment oh, wow. um, on social media. And I've just realized it's actually, you know what, it's, it's not this big 
scary monster. I mean, it is a big scary monster, but I'm in control. You yeah, know? completely. So yeah. um, I have to thank you. It's wonderful. And I really hope your book does well. And I really hope your book be does become a movie because uh, it was very visual. Um, thank you so I can much. imagine it as a movie. Thank you so much for putting in the time and the effort. And thank you so much, guys, for coming. Really, really appreciate Tell it. Tell everybody what they missed.